Exactly. How did you get out of the castle, sir? Oh, through the front door, sir. I'm off to Hagrid, you see. He's a very dear friend, and I just fancy paying him a visit. So if you don't mind, I will be going out. Harry! Sir, it's nearly nightfall. Surely you realise I can't allow you to go roaming the grounds by yourself? Well, then by all means, come along, sir. Welcome to Novel Ideas of the Illiterati, and this week we'll be talking about why my dad left me at the laundromat 15 years ago. But in actuality, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I'm Andrea. I'm Michael, the same guy that's been here every week. Oh, and want to give a massive shout-out to the entire country of Israel. A couple of weeks ago, when we were in your top 100 for book-related podcasts. I don't know how that happened, but thank you. Shalom. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. Maybe we can get some other... Like, like, someone's listening to this? In Israel. Like, it's just like, I mean, we haven't been, like, promoting this in Israel. I mean, I haven't gone to Israel. I'd like to. Yeah, I mean, like, it's guess it's time to take a trip. Time to take a trip. <laughs> if they'll let us in, because, you know, being Americans, it's, uh, it's a bit of a struggle right now. Oh, someone adopt us. But, like, mm. yeah, like we said, we're going to talk about Harry Potter 6. And, Michael, would you like to start us off with your thoughts? So this is the first time I've seen the film since it came out in theaters, and I was really impressed with uh, the way they put you into the film when you're at home, because it was re it was amazing. Like it, like you're you're just like getting really into it, and then like tw at the very end, spoiler alert for people who are apparently listening to the sixth Harry Potter book and haven't read it or watched the movie, but you get towards the end, and then Snape's <laughs> popping up. And he does the whole Avada Kedavra on Dumbledore, and then your entire power goes out in your apartment. And it was really impressive <laughs> how they trigger that with with the movie. And like I I I gotta claps off to the director and the effects team and everyone involved in in that. So that was I was highly impressed with that. So this happened to you? you no, know, that actually did happen. The magical world of Harry Potter, everyone. Yeah, it's, it's coming into the real world. Um, I really like this book. It's always been up there for me. Uh, I've always liked this story a lot. There's some stuff with the movie, some choices I didn't fully understand, and then there's also stuff because they didn't do it in the previous films that they couldn't just sort of throw certain things that were in the book in, um, namely stuff with like Creature and Dobby because they decided to leave them out in the fourth book and all the stuff in the fifth as well, so they couldn't really just throw that in. Which also sort of makes it kind of really weird when uh, when he appears in the next one. And it sort of makes what he does not as monumental. Because he just sort of just shows up in the movie in the seventh one. When in the books he's just sort of like helping out al along the way. Yeah. I also had that thought that this book was way better than I remembered. And I don't know why I remembered liking it less. And the movie is not one of my favorites, but... It was good, but yeah, I'm with you It on was that. good. It was definitely no fourth, but <laughs> I guess some of the weird things they did was like at the intro where Harry's just randomly train hopping for no reason, and there's that really cool girl. scene. He had to talk to some cute girl. Yeah, oh geez. <laughs> we, have, we, had to make, we had to prove that Harry Potter's straight, you know, that he still likes women after all of his issues with Joe. 
Well, and then it kind of diminishes the impact of, I know there's the whole issue of the chemistry with Ginny anyway, and how poorly the movie handles that, but it does diminish of when he sees her, he's really happy, and they kind of have like a, a long hug moment, but it just, that whole thing doesn't feel right. He had way more chemistry with the waitress at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, even in the book, I find him and Ginny off as well. It's just sort of like, all of a sudden, he just starts having feelings for her. It felt kind of just random. I don't know. Like he's Well, seen, I think it makes sense in the terms Ginny of it's someone you grew up before. with. Right, what I'm saying, like, when you've grown up with someone, though, you can realize suddenly that the feelings are now romantic. So it makes sense in that regard. I mean, I guess. It's just, I don't know. To me, it just sort of just, like, happened all of a sudden. Like, it was like, all of a sudden he had this burning passion to beat up Dean Thomas or whatever it was, and I was just like, okay, whatever, Harry. You're just, you just need to to whack one out, and you'll probably be fine. Jeez, all right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just sort of, it, I find the, that whole relationship just awkward and weird in general, whether it's the book or the, or the movie. Um, I just, I don't know. Well, the weird thing with the Ginny relationship is she looks like his mom. That's odd. Right. And then it's the fact that, well... The book, I think, handled certain things better. They have some references to him feeling weird seeing her or uh, feeling happy seeing her before, you know, the monster in his chest or however she described it. But um, I think... Oh my god, I lost track of what I was going to say. Edit this out. <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll just edit in that you said that you agree that it's that it's a horrible, horrible relationship. Just say, yeah, you're right. This no. relationship sucks and I'll oh. edit it. It'll be great. No, okay, but what another thing the book handles so much better about this relationship, like, they have a lot more funny moments together instead of just weird kind of tense ones, like, you know, her feeding him, which is so odd, and then Ron sitting between them, but the main difference is in the book, he immediately, I know he kind of kisses her impulsively, but he's immediately looking around to make sure Ron's okay, because he's always saying, you know, that the friendship with Ron is more important than him pursuing whatever this might be with Ginny. And then in the movie, they're kind of just sneaking around and he never talks to Ron about it. And it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, the whole scene in the Room of Requirements when they're hiding the book and then she sneaks up and kisses and she's like, I Maybe could I hide could hide in here. here. Too. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what? The only thing good about that scene is literally right after where is when Ron's like, did you and Ginny do it? Yep, that was good. Like, the only thing that's good about that scene is is Ron being the, the humor crutch afterwards. And the movie romance is super awkward. The book less so, but, I mean, it's just, it's not who I would have put him with. Yeah. So I would have put, put him with a grop. <laughs> Harry needs a nice, big, burly man by his side. So one thing I liked, the movie starting off with the attack on the bridge was pretty was pretty cool. They didn't show the whole, you know, prime minister meeting the minister of magic, which, you know, is okay. It doesn't need that much. It's just it's a really cool yeah. Um not necessary. It did add a really cool layer of how the general world interacts with, you mm -hmm. know, with the two separate sort of realms, but starting off the movie that way I liked it. I also really liked the whole Unbreakable Vow scene. That was really cool. I mean, anything with Helena Bonham Carter's in it. And then 
the woman who plays Narcissa is fantastic, and she's Polly from the Peaky Blinders. I just love that lady oh. so much. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another stunning gotcha. older lady. Um, yeah, I mean, I was like, I was like, oof, uh, Malfoy, uh, I heard your mom's single. <laughs> <laughs> Dad's away. <laughs> it's time to come play. Bye. <laughs> And actually, I liked one thing in this scene more in the movie because in the book it says, he said, uh, Snape says, you will need your wand, Bellatrix. But Alan Rickman going, take out your wand was just like kind of chilling. He's making it a little bit more aggressive in that he is on their side. Uh, it was kind of nice. One thing I forgot, and I don't know how, it was really interesting that when they're talking in the book before they actually make the vow, um, Snape mentions that some of the Death Eaters thought Harry might be Voldemort's successor. I don't know how I forgot that detail, but that's pretty crazy. Like, in their minds, they're thinking someone finally defeated him, so he might be the next leader. Which makes way more sense why Malfoy, and at least more so in the book, was kind of really wanting to be Harry's friend in the first one. Yeah. Because Malfoy probably was told his entire life, this might be the new dark lord yeah and um the malfoy family in general likes to align themselves with whoever's in power there's like certain stuff that's left out and the mo- I, well i mean certain a lot of stuff that's left out in the movie i was somewhat like just i don't know i don't know why this is popping in my head but i was sort of annoyed by the way the movie treats ron oh i guess this is just the way that they treat ron in general they make him kind of stupid and I hate the way they treated him during the Quidditch tryout scenes. Like, he was, like, just a baboon on a stick. And he just got kind of lucky. He's like, sort of was that way in the fifth one when he just got nervous when everyone was watching. In, like, practice, he was fine. But they they just sort of treat him really stupid. And it's a real shame because Ron's not really a stupid character. I think we've talked about that in the past, but... It is really annoying to me. He didn't look dumb to me. He seemed uncertain. Like, he was making some really impressive saves, but they just seemed really awkward compared to McLaggen's. But I actually really liked but them. No, like, no, they weren't impressive. No, all of the saves were literally, like, at the one ring. Like, McLaggen had to, like, go in between, like, all three rings, and Ron's were, like, almost all directly at him. True, but, like, it was just cool how he was the only one who had the idea to, like, headbutt the ball out of the way. Like, I thought they were throwing in some really creative moves. But he didn't, he didn't mean to do it. If you watch it, he's, he, like, slips. Um, one thing that struck me in the novel, though, Ron turns into such an asshole when he's stressed out about Quidditch. Like, it was really kind of jarring. And for books where everyone complains about Harry being so snappy, he was just downright really dickish during this time. Um, like, he was addicted to Ginny, and then, like, I don't know, around this time, I know he was the angriest at Hermione, which I know that has a whole separate reason behind it, but, yeah, I don't know, it was very atypical of him. I mean, kind of Ron and Hermione were kind of really jerkish in this book. Yeah. Like, Hermione was just super prideful about the whole potion stuff. She she had to just follow the the direct book, which is kind of weird to me because I, 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 I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't really know. It's just sort of like, I feel like she would want to know the best information. And since like, you know, that book is working out, whoever scribbled stuff in clearly knew what they were doing more than that author. You think she would kind of support it in a certain way. At least I thought she would, but 
maybe I'm wrong. True. I mean, I have experienced when you know certain things work better than what a recipe is telling you, but if you tell anyone that, they'll be like, well, I'm going to follow the recipe, and you're like, okay, you can do that if you want. Yeah, and I guess... Like, it's it drives of, me crazy. Yeah. Every recipe tells you to cook garlic for, like, many minutes, and I'm like, only if you want browned garlic. Normally, like, I'll leave it there, like, 30 seconds before I add other stuff, because I'm not trying to overcook my garlic. Mm-hmm. And you never and you never chop garlic. You you break it with the side of your knife, just like Harry does, that one thing. Uh, the, the beans with the juice. <laughs> no, you always, you do the same exact thing with garlic. It really, it actually does help bring out... A lot of garlic flavor. You never, you never chop it. You can chop it afterwards. True. This has now become a cooking podcast. I was and about to say. we're going to sh- share all of our recipes. Welcome to Novel Ideas of the Stovetop, everyone. So, oh, a lot of things struck me in this novel that I forgot. Again, just because it's been so long since I read them and I've watched the movies more and it's kind of sad to me. I thought it was really, like, all the memories they left out are so fascinating and this is where it really bugs me that they did stuff like adding in the burrow burning yeah. down for no reason. No, that's a which okay, scene. here's why it's not. Again, I see it as some sort of blockbustery attempt to add another action scene, and it makes no sense within the timeline because it's such a big deal, but it's not brought up again. Um, and by the next movie, everything's back to normal, and no one addresses like, "Yo, remember last year when this place was just gone and it was ash?" It's just back to normal and we're doing the wedding such a stupid scene instead of all of the fighting at hogwarts they just do that instead and it's it makes the reason why the death eaters showed up to hogwarts really stupid in the movie because they're kind of there just to cause trouble and actually try to kill some people or um i'm blanking out on his name uh gray skull or whatever what's the what's the werewolf's name gray beard no uh, you've said it wrong and i forgot gray wolf <laughs> Um, Grayson <laughs> Fanglewood. Um, so, Grayson Fanglewood. Stop saying uh, fake names or I won't that, remember. You know, he shows up. God dang it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Grayson Fanglewood. Grayson Statham. Um, but it's just sort of... I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it just, it's like he's there to kind of just, you know take a bite out of some children because that's what he does apparently uh little little creepy 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 man um but yeah it's just it's kind of stupid uh i hate the hate the burrow scene because no i think they just wanted to throw in because they skipped all moments to have any relationship building with ron and jenny this was supposed to be it but it just made no sense because they're just standing together in a marsh like kind of helping each other out um one thing I really forgot about was Scringemore coming to see Harry at Grimwald Place. And honestly, that whole conversation was prime Harry sploosh material. Because he's just laying it out there. And you're like, oh right, so this is why this character is kind of dope. He's just not taking any shit from the ministry. And holding up the scars from Umbridge's, like, torture to show him. And he's like, where were you guys when this was happening? And I want me to be there for you. I forgot that Umbridge still had a job at the ministry afterwards. I always felt like she Why could, does she still have a job? <laughs> just because it's the ministry and just like a lot of government organizations, people can do shitty things and still hold jobs um, higher, as long as you're a high-ranking official. 
So, uh, also, I don't know, for some reason in my mind, she probably just died in the woods. Uh, but maybe that's oh, just me one, hoping. One thing that was funny is I was watching this with my friend Anthony. Anthony! He made the comment that Harry, <laughs> he made the comment that Harry is just a jock that turns into a cop. <laughs> like, that's pretty much his trajectory. <laughs> Yeah. I'd be playing Quidditch, too. It sounds fun. I love the way they did the Weasley Wizard Wheezes joke shop. And, like, the way they did the contrast of how, you know, it was the only place open and so much of Diagon Alley was deserted. That was really cool to me. The movies make it seem like the Wizarding World isn't really all that much changed besides, you know, of course, like Hogwarts having more security. I was just going to mention that because... Like how you said, the joke shop was the only place open. Yeah, and, and I mean, in the book, there was more... It was not just Diagon Alley being deserted, but it was just... You actually saw more horrors around in Hogwarts, and, like, they interact with Tonks and all that more. You know, she's the one that finds Harry in the compartment after Malfoy catches his dumbass. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> and then... And speaking of, this is like the one book where Harry's totally right. No one's listening to him about Malfoy. Like, he totally called it, but no one wants to believe him. But yeah, speaking of the joke shop, though, and why Hogwarts makes no sense, why is a date rape potion allowed in the school and treated as something so casual? Um, don't ask me. Why is it that... J.K. Rowling oh creates a transgender potion, but hates transgender. We're not in real talking life. about that. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, that, that is kind of like a weird thing, and also somehow that bypasses security when they talk about how secure everything is, and they're checking things that are from the Weasley's joke shop. You think that they would have figured that they would come in a different way? I don't really know, but yeah. And Speaking of, uh, when they're getting searched coming into the castle, I definitely think she had a little cheeky line where she said that Filch was jabbing the secrecy sensors everywhere he could reach. Like, come on. I do like how the book pointed out that, uh, hey, maybe maybe Filch and the librarian are, uh, have a little thing oh going God, on. Oh, God, please hey, don't. Hey, Although I do agree with her. She saw Harry with the it. written in book and chased them out, and she was like, that's a blasphemy to write in your books. And I was like, I get it. I do. <laughs> The most I can do in a book is if it's like a book on something that I I, I know I'll go back to. I need to read certain passages because it's either like a self help book or something on a topic that uh, I'm trying to work on. For example, like the Stephen King book on writing. I'll just make brackets. That's the most that I can do. I can't highlight things. I can't underline things. I'll just make little brackets. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I it's the only way I can. I refuse write to. In a book. I had a teacher who wanted proof we were reading, and she wanted us to write in, in the book, and I told her, the most you're going to get from me is highlighting, and I'll put in post-it notes, but I'm not writing in the margins. And she was okay with that. It doesn't feel right. <laughs> I'm with you, but it's also really weird, because if I get a used book, I actually don't mind uh, other people who have written it, because I actually want to see what other people thought were important and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I hold myself to different standards. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm better than those people that wrote in it, even though I really like what they wrote. Yeah. So, but speaking of the diary, so, or not the diary, the textbook. Honestly, I too, if I had a book that made me good at math all of a sudden, I would be 
doing everything in that book. Although Harry is such a dick to use the spells on people he knows before he knows exactly. Like, I know Levicorpus is pretty easy to figure out, but, you know, your friends aren't guinea pigs for random spells you pick up in a book. No. No, they're not. <laughs> Ron's just sleeping, and Harry's like, oh, sorry, you're awake now. <laughs> Well, it wasn't just Ron, it was everyone that, yeah. that, that, that slept in that specific boardroom. Uh, and then it turned you, you into know, a... I'm Harry Potter, I don't care about anyone else's lives. And then he almost kills Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, just like when Ron's going through his, uh, his all his presents in the book, and and Harry's just too infatuated with his, with his boy crush Malfoy and trying to figure out where he's at so he can go find him and give him a little smooch. He's he doesn't give a fuck about about Ron's life and all the and all the things that he's going through. He just sort of like going, "Yep, uh-huh," as he's peering lovingly into the Marauder's map trying to catch a nice little glimpse of that Draco Malfoy. And they have the line in the book where it says Harry was quickly becoming obsessed with Draco Malfoy, and I'm like, all right, you can hardly blame the spin-off erotica at this point. <laughs> <laughs> also, with how moody Draco was in this one, especially in the movie, he was all he was all super moody and and, and sad, sad boy like. It's like, yeah. man, now, now we all want a little piece of that Draco. Oh, can I just say my original? little catching of the necklace was right because at the start of this book as well they mention the necklace yeah. in the shop and then it turns out to be the necklace from the shop so i guess the book tells you eventually but i swear i forgot <laughs> also uh would like to point out because i remember fan theories about this or like people have and maybe i mentioned it as well and uh about how why don't why doesn't everyone just like you know use a bunch of time turners Apparently they destroyed a bunch in the fifth book. Yeah, she was like, I'm going to close that loophole immediately before someone brings it up yeah. to me. <laughs> We're just going to destroy all of these. Because Hagrid's all super sad Hagrid this book because no one took his class. Yep. And see, that's what bugs me. So we had this burrow scene thrown in. We could have seen more of the memories because the memories to me are one of the most interesting parts of the novel is seeing Voldemort's backstory and how twisted it is. Yeah, the stuff with his mom being like from an abusive family, that's one of the last pure blood people left and the last line of, uh, um, I was about to say Sylvester Slytherin. Um, is it Salvador Slytherin? <laughs> now I'm blanking on what his first name is. Um, Salazar, yeah. Sylvester, so we're going to call him Sylvester, little Sylvester. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Um, <laughs> there we go. That one's like, that one's a great story, just how horrible, I mean, it's, it's a horrible story, but it's just great because it's interesting. And what was, an, there was a, what was another good one that they left out? I'm blanking out what all of them were. It was that, it was the orphanage, it was, of course, the Slughorn one. And the one where he's visiting that older lady who sells some of her trinkets. Yes, to get the uh, to get the Hufflepuff thing. She had the cup and the uh, locket. Right, and that's what that's where it, in the book it makes more sense that the Horcruxes are certain memorabilia, whereas the movie doesn't really mention that. It's just sort of I think all they say is that they could be anything. 
and that the only way that they will know is that dark magic has let basically lets off a certain signal. I know the final movie talks about, I mean, he talks to Rowena Ravenclaw's ghost and asks her about the diadem. What's cool is in this book, when Snape asks Harry to see his textbook after he nearly, again, kills Malfoy, he goes to hide his copy in the Room of Requirement, and they mention the diadem because he wants to mark the wardrobe where he hid the book, and he puts a goblin head on there and also a wig and this tiara that he sees. And that's the diadem, which is really cool. That is pretty damn cool. She got that foreshadowing game down. You know what's the uh, what's the what's the main thing that 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 was left out of the movie from this book? Tell us, Michael. When uh, when Harry Potter's sneaking around, and he he's finding out that Malfoy's in the room of requirements, and then you know he he sees the the little girls. Uh, guarding in it. Oh my god, yes. Technically Crab and Goyle. And, and Harry's like, oh, hey, you're pretty cute. I love and then, that. Like, they freak out. But also, Crab and Goyle <laughs> turning into smaller girls is the most funny. I don't know. I love it. And the fact that when they're doing their apparating tests, that's what Crab is telling Malfoy, like, I don't want to do it anymore. And he's like, you already agreed. <laughs> like, he's talking about turning yeah. into a girl. It's fantastic. <laughs> And then uh, uh, the reason he figures out that Harry, that uh, Malfoy was successful is because he catches Trelawney trying to hide her empty sherry bottles in the room of requirement. It's a bit kind of just random, and but I guess that's kind of how life is. You never know how you're going to find things out. Well, my general thought on the movie is it turned into at least a third to half of it was pretty much a rom-com. And I know there's more romance in this book, but... You didn't need quite so much of it. Like, this whole McClagan-Hermione thing wasn't really a thing. She asks him out to the ball, but, I mean, it was good comedic effect how weird and kind of creepy McClagan was, especially when he's, like, licking his fingers while they're all eating in Slughorn's office. Like I know we all got a little wet from that. I mean, they picked a pretty attractive dude. I don't know what you want me to say. But it was, again, not something that was really happening to that extent. Um... But I still think it got the tone so right so many times that I still really enjoy this movie. You know, there are some certain creative ideas they had, like having all the windows be open in Hogwarts just created some really beautiful scenes, like when Harry's comforting Hermione and all the leaves are blowing in around them as they're sitting there, you know, before she sends her little death canaries Ron's way. It just had some, like, really stunning mm -hmm. shots in this one. And, um, oh, can I just say, it's kind of dickish to have a little bird cage within a big bird cage and then just limit the two birds to that small bird cage. I mean, it was a cool design, but why give the birds an idea of a bigger space while trapping them in a smaller one? Well, isn't that, it's kind of a representation of all of our <laughs> lives. We're all trapped in a pretty small cage within a bigger cage, which is, you know, <laughs> the government. And we'll never really get outside of this, the two cages that were put in. Sometimes we're actually in three cages. And one of them is your four. wife and it kids. It just <laughs> depends on our lives. <laughs> exactly. So it was, just, it was just a metaphor, and it was, it was actually probably one of the most artsy things, and a lot of things that most people overlook. And it was, it was a nice touch. It was and you know, nice, it was also nice very telling. Malfoy chose there. to kill the white bird first because it's, you know, white's innocence and purity which is kind of problematic, but whatever. He was killing his own innocence, in a way. 
And then he's, you know, crying, because it's like, of course they killed the bird, Malfoy. What did you expect? They bit the apple. They were either going to bite that bird or kill it. <laughs> what if he started crying after <laughs> they bit the apple? <laughs> no! <laughs> Why would they bite the oh apple? My Granny Smith apple. I can't remember what kind of apple it was. But yeah, it was a very pretty movie. Poor Malfoy. What a sensitive. He's a sensitive, soft boy. But he's a, he just he just needs to be cuddled and told that he's a good little boy. But yeah, so very pretty. I like the music in this movie a lot too. And then the whole scene with the Felix mm -hmm. Felicis was so fantastic. So first of all, one thing the movie leaves out is it's Ron's idea for him to use the Felix. And, you know, clever points for Ron. They sort of do it, but yeah, I get weird. Well, in the book, in the movie here, it's just like, oh, I just need a bit of luck. Oh, liquid luck. Ha ha ha, I'm so smart. But he, the way that whole scene's acted, like, this movie is where you realize Daniel Radcliffe can fucking act. Like, him imitating Slughorn, love. Love all that. And then... Just how drunk everyone is in the next scene, but Harry's just kind of giddy drunk. Like, I think they did a great job. And the little hoof is so cute. So, when I, when I saw this scene, uh, I not too long ago watched a... Uh, it, it's, it's the only reality TV show I've ever actually enjoyed. It's called Love on the Spectrum. And I don't, know if it, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but it's like an eight-part miniseries. I've heard of it. Might this, be only yeah. six parts. I can't remember. But it's about uh, it's about like uh, people on the spectrum, uh, people with Asperger's, autistic. But the way Harry acted really reminded me of one of the guys with Asperger's in the show. Uh, his name's Michael. I, I loved that guy, and so it, it was kind of weird. It was like I don't know. It just reminded me of him, and I it it made me like that scene even more because. Michael was a cool guy. I hope he finds love one day. We all hope for that for Michael. Go, Michael. I hope all, I hope all Michaels find no love. No one, one loves day. you, Michael. <laughs> oh jeez, I'm just kidding. No, it's Gavin. Next thing you know, everyone listening is gonna be like, "Wow, she's really mean to Michael." I mean, you should see her when she's not talking it's on tough. this podcast. It's even worse. <laughs> Why do you think I have self-esteem issues? I'm worse it's than just me. Uh, I sent you detailed notes with, like, 15 timestamps of when you sounded stupid. <laughs> you sounded really fat around 3 minutes and 47 seconds. <laughs> you know me, fattest boy around. I like to throw my weight around. Seriously, for anyone who doesn't know you, though, you're the lankiest person. I'm the lankiest, skinniest guy in the world. I make a... You're basically Slenderman. I do wear suits and ties every day. That's me. Speaking of, Malfoy's always wearing suits in this movie. Oh, that reminded me. I really want the uh, the suit that that Snape's wearing during the Unbreakable Vow scene. I really want it. Yeah. I want that so bad. It looks Snape's so good. Snape's cloaks always are fantastic. They're very swishy. Mm-hmm. Like, and they, yeah. it's really cool how they're longer at the side. So that scene where Harry catches them talking in the astronomy tower, like, part of it just drapes over the railing when he stops, and you're just like, that looks really boss. Yeah. So good looking. And you know... Yeah, go ahead. They, they changed up the scene of Harry talking with Slughorn. So back in the Felix Felicis journey, 
I actually really like that story they wrote in about the lily petal turning into a fish. It was just a really kind of beautiful way to express who Lily was, that she was so mm-hmm. thoughtful that for one of her teachers, she just did some very complicated magic to make such a joyous thing for them. That was nice. It was a great way to sort of make the connection for Slughorn between Harry and his mom. And it was really interesting also going back. I had forgotten that Harry has more of the Felix Felicis left over after his excursion to get the lost memory. And it was really touching that he gave the remainder to, you know, Ron and Hermione and Ginny to use so they it would hopefully help them when the Death Eaters came. And then I think Ginny does mention after the battle is over how they probably would have gotten hit by some spells if they didn't have it because they had so many close calls. That is true. Way to go, Harry. The overprotective daddy. <laughs> Making sure that his little chillins don't get don't get zapped by the big bad boys. So true. Yeah. Um so after that, though, when they go to the cave, mm-hmm. this was one thing that I thought was really dumb in the book. So they get to the cave. Dumbledore and Harry. They're getting on the boat. And Dumbledore mentions, this boat only allows one wizard at a time. But don't worry, Harry. You're only 16 and underage, so somehow this magical boat is not going to know that you're a wizard. What the fuck? <laughs> Well, he does explain it that Voldemort wouldn't have considered someone underage as a threat, so it might just be... Yeah, the way magic works is weird. Because they also talk about like the weird limitations of how they'll know that a spell has been committed in a certain area, but not who cast it. So it does seem like some magic isn't as comprehensive as weird the characters might like for it to be. But why would this spell... To stop wizards be based on age. It, wouldn't it just know that there's mag- a magical person and that's it? Like, unless it was specifically made and, and, and Voldemort was like, hmm, you know, 18 and above on this ride, you know? <laughs> 18 and above. I won't, go, I won't go anywhere below that. So we're just gonna we're just gonna nullify anyone anyone under eighteen, seventeen? Nah, you ain't good. You ain't good to get on onto this Voldy ride. It's only eighteen and above. That's that's the sweet spot. That's the love spot for this uh, for this sweet, sweet, sweet boat in the in these dark caverns. Well it's like we don't have child sized handcuffs, you know? You don't really expect we might. That's why they carry zip know. ties. That's why they that's carry true. zip ties. They they do have those now. There's always precautions for things. Until you shoot the wrong person. It's not really a precaution for that. I shouldn't have said anything. Alright, moving on. So <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> moving out of there. Moving <laughs> on to some, some, some more fun topics. Like uh But so oh when can when I show th- off? Oh mm-hmm, well, yeah, I'm gonna show off. I'm gonna you, brag right now. Cause that cave I've been there. Well I didn't go into the cave. Aww. But that cliff system is the cl- cliffs of Moor. And I went there when we went to Ireland, and it is so stunning. And you can see where the cave is without 
Because you can't really go down there unless you've sailed up the cliffs because they're very long. So you can't, like, really climb right. down. It's, it's cliffs. But it is so stunning. Well, and well, I mean, you can't really go in there unless you're, you got, unless you've got, like, a boat and there's a bunch of corpses in there. So why would you want to go anyways? I mean, it sounds pretty dope. But, like, <laughs> no, and when we went, so it goes from rainy to not very quickly. And we did see a little boat in some very eerie looking waves like it was just it was just sailing along and it looked terrifying but um yeah the rain came in really suddenly so we all kind of went to go get under the like shelter there was like an overhang by the bathroom welcome area and people just really started running because the rain came in quite heavily and at one point I get like I feel something hit my back and I realized the wind was so strong it blew a trash can lid at me (laughs) So that almost knocked me over. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Yeah, everyone go visit Ireland. It's fun. No wonder why no muggles ever get down there. There's See? trash cans being thrown at people. <laughs> Baldi's got some weather, weird weather patterns that throw that's calling all muggles trash. Exactly. So that's what I feel like this movie, once you get past the some of the beginning, like too much romance, awkward chemistry, all of that, the latter half is really stunning, especially, yeah, the cave scene was so well done, and Dumbledore, like a boss, with his swirling ring of fire. Yeah, with his, with his dead hand, his, he was thirsty as all get out, but he was like, you know what will quench this thirst? Fire. <laughs> And even, so I had this thought both in the book and the movie. I understand he's thirsty and he's had some really creepy potion thing that he just drank. But I think even in my most dire moment, I wouldn't want water from a lake that had dead people in it. Right. You'd be like, hey, let's just, let's just, you know, we'll sit down for a little bit in silence. Let's not talk about this. And then we'll just get out of here. And then, you know, I can pour myself a nice... Nice clean glass of Aquafina, and it'll be much better. Yeah. Oh, it's back on that scene though. So in the movie, it's re- it was really jarring to me because I'm assuming they did this because it was probably hard to move on that little island space that they created, the little crystal island. It didn't seem like it had like a lot of moving space. So there was probably a lot of awkward movements with Harry. But when the when the first Inferi comes and grabs him, there's like 20 jump cuts. And it's really awkward in an editing perspective. Yeah, when all he's really doing is jumping backwards, but it's like cutting all these weird different ways. And I'm just guessing they couldn't get a good, clean shot. So the editor was like, well, this is the best that I can do. Well, and if you're trying to show a chaotic moment, like you said, the fact that they used a hand... Like, they shot by hand during occlumency lessons. Why couldn't they use that here? Or was, like, a shaky hand cam? Like, oh, shit, something insane's happening. Uh, there probably wasn't a lot of room. They were probably shooting on a boat. Yeah, that makes or, sense. Or, I mean, I'm assuming they, they... I mean, maybe it probably wasn't as deep as, like... It probably wasn't really shot in the cave, and it was probably shot somewhere else in basically a room that was probably all black, and... That's uh, what I'm thinking, Probably with, like, then. a green screen or a blue screen, probably more likely a blue screen, but it would have, 
potentially been hard to do, depending on how it was set up. It could have been good with a shaky cam, but it would have been odd if it was just that section that was shaky cam. It seems like, at least with this director, they seem to like really clean shots. Whereas uh, the, 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 the oculum and C from the fifth one, was that was the entire scene. So they, they specifically used that technique just for that scene and for any scene of people running around. They, they did handheld when it came to them running through the cornfields at the bureau, but I'm assuming they thought of it, at least hopefully they thought of it, and it just didn't work out. I'm just assuming that it was hard for Daniel Radcliffe to move on that island and it just all the shots kind of just seemed awkward because all those jump cuts were really close up so i mean as they probably should be because it's like a hand reaching out but it was there was the, like at least 20 shots in like a second films are around 30 frames per second that's insanely quick it was really weird choice and i'm just assuming that's all that they could do yeah and one thing i thought is that that whole scene the way they filmed it seemed like they were kind of copying the bogs in lord of the rings because it was literally that same sort of a figures grabbing them from behind around the neck and dragging them down into the water yeah because that didn't happen in the book right they, he didn't, they, did they pull him into the water i can't remember I don't think they pull him all the way. I think they're, like, lifting him off his feet and making their way towards the water. Yeah. But you're probably right. It seems copying. Also, the way Dumbledore acted in that scene seemed very Gandalf-like as well, especially with the fire. Um, I mean, it looked great. I'm not going to deny that. But Oh, and I have another mm -hmm. issue. When... They're spying on Malfoy at the very beginning in Borgen and Burks. In the book, they're using extendable ears and they can't really see what's going on. So Draco is showing, has shown the guy something that Harry's immediately thinking is a dark mark, which he ends up being right on. And they hear them talking about something. But in the movie, they literally see the cabinet or part of it because they're on that roof across the way. Right. So then, when Harry's in the room of requirement with Ginny hiding the book, he opens the cabinet to let the bird out that's chirping. How the hell does he not recognize that cabinet? Because he's already seen it before. Um, is it the same cabinet? Because technically aren't... Uh, well, I mean... Yeah, that's the sister well, cabinet. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, did they look exactly the same? I just, I just assumed that they looked different. That, I mean, that it was just any sort of cabinet. I can't remember in the movie, at least, whether they were the same looking or not. I think it looks the same okay. in the movie. It also makes sense for a movie prop. You just use the same one instead of making two. Mm -hmm. But it was really smart, actually, because they did mention that student that disappeared in there in the fifth book. It was really cool that they had, you know, they had mentioned that cabinet before, whereas you don't really get that in the movie. And I'd forgotten that little detail, but that was a nice... Uh, tie-in yeah there's a couple of really nice tie-ins from things before like you said the necklace that wardrobe also in the movie you don't really learn that uh harry now owns everything that's serious serious is i guess it's not super important but yeah in the movies they just cover it in the next one where they're looking for a place to hide after the wedding gets crashed mm. and they show up there all right i'd like to introduce a segment called stuff andrea wants from the movies 
Ooh, tell me. Okay. Slughorns, hourglass. That moves in accordance with how good the conversation is. That's pretty cool. Like, I just like the whole design of it, too. And I love how they were showing it after, you know, they had the conversation about Voldemort. It was like it, they just weren't moving and suspended. And it was kind of a really cool, chilling scene to kind of, you know, add extra gravity to the situation. But also, the cup they use in the cave, with like that crystalline cup to drink the potion, is really stunning. I looked it up. It's like 47 euro online. I'm too poor for that. But yeah, really nicely designed items. Aesthetics. Good job. I'm into it. Very touching moment in this book. I don't think they showed it quite the same way. They might have had something similar. Frankly, I don't remember. But in the book, when Harry's helping Dumbledore out of the cave, and he keeps saying, don't worry, don't worry, Professor, and Dumbledore says, I'm not worried. I'm with you. And I was like, fuck. Kill me now. It was cute. And then he dies. Because that bastard Snape. Oh, and that's my other gripe. Okay. Yeah. In the book, before all this goes down, Dumbledore knows what's going to happen. And the last thing he does before Draco expelliarmus his wand out of his hand is he immobilizes Harry, who's under the cloak, so he can't move. No one can see him. In the movie, Harry's just underneath the kind of platform watching. I mean... I'm sorry, Harry, as a character, wouldn't just be standing there doing nothing as Dumbledore is killed, or and or just cornered, even if he doesn't know he's about to get killed. It makes sense that he's going to have to be stuck so he doesn't do anything and get discovered. And then also it like adds that impact of he's kind of in denial that Dumbledore's dead until he can tell he can move again. Mm-hmm. And he's like, shit, he must be gone. It's true. It's kind of stupid also i would like to mention how stupid it is that the death eaters didn't bring brooms with them they decided hey we're just gonna escape on foot why (laughs) you got you're literally living a magical world and i know you can't apparate in and out but you can fly so uh why don't you do that i had that thought of when they're doing the the tests, the apparition tests, they talk about the fact that Dumbledore lifted the restriction so they could practice. And I'm just like, what if you timed the Death Eaters coming in then? Well, it was like, only specifically in the Draco had any sense. It was specifically only in the Great Hall. Because I thought the same thing until they mentioned True. that, that it was specifically only in the Great Hall. And you couldn't, they, they mentioned that you couldn't apparate out of the Great Hall. That's a good point. I feel like that's half of J.K. Rowling's writing is being like, I like this idea. Now i got to fig- try to mentally make sure that it works. So I'm just going to write all this other stuff. <laughs> and, uh, which is fine. It's just, you know, sometimes it's a bit much. But I guess that's what happens when you work in a world of magic. You have to, and you're trying to make it make sense. And I really loved, so again, they peppered in some really funny moments. Um, for example, the fat lady getting annoyed that Harry's back late. And she's like, I've changed the password. And he's like, why would you change it at midnight? And she was like, well, you missed it. And then he runs away. And she's like, I'm just kidding. It's still tape work. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> like, that was so funny. Yeah, I, I like I like the fat lady a lot. I wish she was better used in the movies. Because I'm pretty sure we haven't seen her since the third movie. Also, why do the why do paintings sure. sleep or, or need I to sleep? I wondered that too. They're just like, oh, no. I'm tired now, but I guess if they can go and get drunk in other paintings, then 
if they can get sleepy. It's weird, dude. You know what's funny is every time I read one of these, I think I'll keep track of the points alongside you. And then I was like, it'd be funny if I know the points when he says it. But then I'm also like, what if I get different points? <laughs> and then we're all going to be really obsessed with who got the right number of points. <laughs> but I, I keep forgetting. that's a good segue into what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Give it to us. <laughs> well, I want, now that you've mentioned that, who do you think had the most points in this, in this one? Oh, gosh. Mm, I think someone randomly got a bunch. Slughorn gave Harry a lot. Hmm. Not really. Well, correct me. Go on, so, damn it. it's Hermione. Hermione got a lot of points. He kept giving a lot of points to Hermione. But Harry, he came out strong with a negative 70. Third place. Ron came in second with a ne negative Holy shit. 10. And Hermione had a plus 40. So, way to go, Hermione. Oh, I forgot. Right when Harry arrives and he's late, Slytherin, yeah, he gives him negative 70, like, straight off the mm -hmm. bat. Yeah, he gets pissed off at him. Good old Snapey boy. Did I say Slytherin, say Slytherin gives right. him negative 70? You meant 70. Sylvester. Snape gives him negative 70 points. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I like our recasting. We've got Sylvester, Slytherin, and we've Grayson, got... Grayson. Grayson Statham. <laughs> Grayson Statham. <laughs> I think it's Greyback, by the way. Is that right? Greyback? I guess that kind of makes sense. The werewolf? Yeah, for werewolf. Are we just both really forgetful and horrible podcasters? No, we're starting our own little world, Harry Potter world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is fine. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Except for, you know, Bill's face getting mauled off. That didn't happen in the movie. It's bullshit. See, I wish they had that. Because Bill is such a cool character, and we never see him in the movies. Bill, 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 Bill. Bill Nye the werewolf guy. Bill Nye the werewolf guy. And you know what? Fleur, Fleur is pretty cool. And if I had to listen to some cheesy-ass Christmas music... I, too, would be making fun of it. So, Molly Weasley, you are unfair to Fleur Delacour. Yeah, I, I, I mean, she's sometimes annoying when she's talking about... I forget what it was, and she's like, oh, it's better in France, or wherever the fuck she's from. That was kind of, like, annoying, but then I did get her. I was like, this, these songs suck. And even Mr. Weasley was like, <laughs> they suck. He was, like, trying to ignore them. Yeah, I think he apologized to yeah. Harry that he had to listen to them. He did. Yeah, so Flora's not too bad, and you know she still loves Bill even though his face is ripped off. Because she is pretty enough for the two of them. Which is a little conceited, but at the same time, you know, at least she knows how attractive she is. Please cut that out. That was a horrible French accent. <laughs> I'll do it better. I'm pretty for the both of us. That's a, <laughs> that's super French right there. That's uh, that's some. That's some Versailles Frenchness right there. That's how they sound in Versailles. <laughs> Am I watching Marie Antoinette? Has everything mm. changed? <laughs> oh my gosh. And yet, we don't see the whole Tonks Lupin relationship in the movie. Well, they're just like automatically together in the movie. Not gonna lie. Whoever the actress is for Tonks, uh, hey. She's kind of cute. <laughs> well, she's also, what's her name? 
I forget her name in Game of Thrones, but she's the one. What? She's in Game of Winterfell. Thrones? Winterfell. Yeah, she comes in as that wildling, and she's taking care of um, Bran and Rickon. Oh, god damn it. Is this after I stopped watching Game of Thrones? Oh my, see what you miss? Ah, well, now I gotta finish it. I mean, I mean, now, now... Just don't touch that last season. I mean, is she in the last season? I I think a bit. Actually, yeah, watch it. Just watch it all. Just, you know what? You don't get to be above the misery the rest of us are feeling at that ending. I was smart and stopped, okay? (laughs) I saw the downhill coming back after watching season five. I was like, yeah, this is not going as, as great. Meanwhile, I'm still on all these subreddits, and every time people are like, hey, the books might be finished soon, and they're coming out, I'm like, just stop hoping. You know what? Just forget about it, like me. Let yourself be pleasantly surprised when the books come out, but it's not going to happen for a while. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like he kind of wants them to come out after he's dead, so he doesn't have to deal with any backlash. He's probably, like, written everything for, like... What is it? There's two more books that are supposed to be done? Well, I think a valid theory is the universe has gotten so big, he doesn't know how to tie up all the loose ends. But he's always known where he wants the story to kind of go. So I don't think he's going to have backlash um, for making Daenerys evil. I think a lot of people will be able to see it if it's a well-done trajectory, but the show kind of just rushed it in the last couple of episodes of oh, she's a Targaryen and she's a woman, so now she snapped. Yeah, that's stupid. But at the same time, I could see her... I don't know, I always felt like she she always, she always kind of did have like an evil side to her. Like, she's... I mean, it's been so long since I've seen them, so I'm probably off on this, but she, like... I mean, she saved all those slave people, but she didn't really make their lives any better. It was just sort of... It was like... It was, it's like that... Those hope, like people who are hopeful to do good, but don't know how to actually execute it. It's like they want to do good and they think they're doing good, but it's not really helping make people's lives better. Yeah. I mean, someone mentioned it where like she's a better conqueror than a ruler. And that definitely makes sense. Um, I just thought the way they were setting up the books, she was learning to trust other people more and listen to her advisors in Marine. Like, Marine, it seems like a lot in the show, bro, it's like a whole complicated political system in the book, and she's learning over time to navigate it, but, like, there's obviously a lot of resistance as a new ruler, so it's hard for her to start improving people's lives when no one's working with her. But, right. yeah, it's a whole thing. They really just fudged it. Yeah. That's the reason why I can't wait for next week when we talk about the seventh book of Game of Thrones... Dances with dire wolves. <laughs> so. You're probably going to cut out all the Game of Thrones stuff, right? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> you can just leave it in as a... And here are our thoughts on the Game of Thrones franchise. <laughs> we're, not doing, we're not doing a whole podcast on it. We're just doing it right now. <laughs> you know, yeah, let's have that at the end. We'll be like, random thoughts about da-da-da. Or just have like one, like literally cut that into like a five-minute episode. <laughs> about game yeah. of, all right here's our game of thrones one it's five minutes long like you know what michael you know what i want to talk about this week are shoes let's discuss shoes and why they are so bad for the foot <laughs> and there you go there we go i'm down for that speaking of which 
we could always do uh, we could always do Pepsi and Pepsi Man the video game. That's a thing. <laughs> Pepsi made a video game. You know I don't play video games. Well, it's free online. Why do people say that? Like that suddenly means I play video games. Uh, well, you need to get into video <laughs> games. Your your friend group on Discord uh, plays video games, and if you don't watch out, Andrea, I'm gonna become better friends with them. Well, good luck, cause they're mine. I don't know. I don't know. After uh, after I get them to play <laughs> Among Us with me a couple of times, I'm like, ooh. It's Michael character. Well, you're never on the chat, so they'll never know I'm you want to play Like, I say these things every now and again. I just, it's hard for me to really just jump into conversations, especially with a bunch of people that I haven't met, so. Uh, but they, they're nice people. They really are. And they're promoting my podcast way better than me. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I don't even know what the Discord name is. I can't even give a shout out. I don't know if I should say it out. I guess People can't just join. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's not say. But thanks, guys. Indeed. We, uh, they're the hype men. Oh, wholesome gang. Just call them the wholesome gang. The wholesome <laughs> gang. The holy wholesome game. <laughs> Sad boys. <laughs> Lonely yeah. fam. Yeah. All right, yeah. So, congrats. Another somewhat successful episode i want to say successful i'm not i'm not sure i let other people tell us how successful it is yeah i don't want to be like kanye and think all my stuff's great so join us next week we're going to talk about the deathly hallows we're going to watch both movies cover it all at once because we're not hollywood trying to make money off of two separate films of one book or three in the case of the hobbit so we will have one nice last episode, and then for the month of October, we are moving into, let's just say, dark themes and something extra spooky on the Saturday of Halloween. Ooh. That, Ooh. Was, that was Cornelius fun. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> uh, cool. That'll be great. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, some other stuff. It'll be fun. Everyone have a great week. Stay alive. Stay safe. Stay drunk. Uh, okay. Read a book. Read a book. Yeah, that's what we'll be doing. <laughs> All right. Peace. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Bye, Nara. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> on spring afternoon, I discovered a bowl on my desk. Just a few inches of clear water in it. Floating on the surface was a flower petal. As I watched, it sank just before it reached the bottom. It's transformed to a wee fish. Just beautiful magic, wondrous to behold. Our petal had come from a lily.